And welcome back to another fantastic edition of the Lockdown College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, and I am always alongside my great and always consistent co-host, Jonah Tools. Jonah, how is everything going, man? Great and consistent? I feel like that's an understatement. I'm <laughs> the linchpin of this podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. And we got another college football playoff rankings we got to discuss, man. There are a lot of angry Alabama fans in my mentions. And we got we, – listen, man, we got to extinguish them. We got to tell them it's too early. So we'll touch on that later on the show. But, man, I'm doing great. Yeah, and that's something that we'll get into in the second segment of the show. We have a lot of takes that we want to get off just because there were a lot of surprises in the rankings, I must say. But that's something that we will get into later on. Once again, we're going to start off with the Senior Bowl invitations and some some notable names that really did accept their invitations to the Senior Bowl. We've already seen some headliner names already accept. I know the Auburn guys were the latest to accept, and Derek Brown uh, and Marlon Davidson, and also some other guys from Auburn as well did accept. So it was really good to see that fantastic defensive line have some great exceptions in there. But the two guys we're going to debate today are Daryl Taylor, the edge rusher from Tennessee, and also Florida edge rusher Jabari Zuniga. So we have a couple of edge rushers to get to. And then the second segment of the show, we're going to get to the college football playoff just because there was a bit of a shakeup. And there were some surprises included within that. But I want to go ahead and get to the Senior Bowl invitations. And I want to start off with Daryl Taylor just because you were very open about his invitation on Twitter. and You were really excited about him accepting his invitation to this. And I just want to open up the floor to you just to get your overall thoughts on Taylor. And then what do you, what do you think his pro projection is going to be? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, with you know all of us that work at the Draft Network, I think I'm the only staffer that, ha- that has consistently had him in that top 40, top 50 range throughout the last couple months, even, even in the preseason, the summer. Um, Daryl Taylor, he really has – what I look for in a pass rusher, right? He has that explosiveness, that bend. Um, he can win with speed. He can also win with other counter moves as well. He has a good spin move as well as a good inside counter. So this is a guy that I think has what you look for in terms of that speed, bend, dip kind of rusher. Um, the problem with Taylor that I, that I acknowledge, the reason why Taylor's not in my top 20 or my top 15 is because he's just not consistent game to game. And a lot of his game, if you look at his 2018 tape, for example, I think most of his production came against one game, and that was against Kentucky, I believe. And but where he had like six or seven sacks on the season, but like four of them came in one game. And you're trying to think, you know, he's so talented, but why doesn't that production come on the field? It's the same question we have with Raquan Davis, you know, with Alabama. And I, I trust the traits in Taylor just as I trust the traits in Raquan Davis. But at the same time, do you take a player like that in the first round? And Taylor has really bounced back from a slow start in 2019. I think he's racked up a sack in at least three of the last four games now. And he's starting to prove to be more consistent and more, I guess, reliable from game to game. And I think that's a big reason why his stock has kind of seen a resurgence in this season. So Taylor, traits are through the roof. This guy, and I was talking to Jim, I was talking to Jim Nagy about this on Twitter. This guy might win the weigh-ins. You know, on that Monday, oh, without question, on that, on that morning of the Bowl weekend, this guy is the early favorite to win the eye test weigh-in day. And this guy is gonna look phenomenal. This guy, his frame, chiseled out, muscled out, dude. I'm telling you, this guy has all the traits you look for in an explosive double-digit sack pass rusher. 
He just got to show that consistency. And he's starting to show flashes of that this year. But he's more of a flash player right now than he is a complete project. So it's going to be it, – his projection will defer from analyst to analyst and from team to team. But to me, I, I see a guy very similar to like Robert Quinn, you know, I, a guy who can win with speed but who can also win with some power and some inside counters. I, I'm a big fan of Taylor, and I think his potential, his ceiling could be Robert Quinn. And I really like that comparison just because they have very similar body body types and they win in a lot of similar ways as well. And I'm going to put this on the table. So he had eight sacks down the stretch of last year, one against Charlotte, four against Kentucky, and three against Vanderbilt. That was eight of his 11 sacks right. last year. So just like what you said, you hit the nail on the head as far as him showing up in big games. He just did not do it for the most part and consistency. It's just the biggest thing that has been his biggest knock so far. And that's exactly what you notice on film as well. Whenever he feels like he's against a person that's evenly matched as him, you just don't see the same type of bend or explosiveness. But when he's facing those lower-tier teams, or inferior teams, I should say, that he can really feast on, that's when he's getting most of his production. So just seeing him step up in those big-time games, you want to see more of that from him. But he really has come on here late. I believe he's recorded seven sacks so far this year, and he has – four in the last three weeks, two against South Carolina, a one against UAB, and also one against Kentucky as well. So he's starting to pick up where he did left off a year ago. And that's the biggest thing with Taylor. We just want to see that type of consistency. There's no denying the traits at all. It's just the consistency always coming out with him, and that's something that we want to see. Now, at the Senior Bowl, I think this is a, a an event that really is set up for him to succeed just because he's going to win the weigh-in. Like you said, he's going to be chiseled up. He's going to be rocked up. He's going to have one of the better-looking bodies there, and you're going to hear a lot of oohs and ahs when he does step on the stage just because that's one of my favorite parts of the Senior Bowl just because you get to see the true reactions, instant reactions of all of these respected names that you hear about and evaluators that you really respect a lot. And just seeing them sit up in their chairs when they see these guys cross the stage and how much they weigh in and just how their bodies look, that was one of the biggest eye-opening experiences for me being a first-time senior bowler last year. So I'm looking forward to seeing exactly how uh, Daryl Taylor does weigh in, what his exact weight is, and how he does perform at the Senior Bowl. Now, as far as the actual practices, I think he's going to win the week. And I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there just because he has that explosiveness that you're looking for. We know he has the competitive desire with him, within him. It's just a matter of fully unleashing it. And this is the perfect type of event to do that just because the one-on-ones are going to be definitely catered to his skill set. Yeah, and let me... Let me put this on the table. I know we're both throwing out some bold claims here. Um, is there? Let me ask you a question first. Is there a more talented pass rusher when they're at their peak, other than Chase Young, than Darrell Taylor? Because really, to me, his traits, his speed, his explosiveness, his power, I think it, when he's at his peak and he's at his peak performance on tape, there's not a more talented pass rusher in this draft class other than Chase Young than Darrell Taylor. Is, is that a fair statement? I think that's actually a really good statement, but I think Chason is a bit more explosive as far as up the field. That, that, that's fair. But, that, that, but that's as far fair. as transitioning speed to power, I don't think he has that like Daryl Taylor does, just because I think he's a bit more strong as far as bending the corner and winning the corner. And when he wants to transition that speed to power, I don't think Chason right. really has that 
like Daryl Taylor does. So I think he really spot on with that for the most part. Yeah, and, and you know me, I'm a big fan of Chase on too. So like, it, so I think Chase on and Taylor are in the same kind of category, talented guys, but still I think a little work to do. Um, but Taylor, to me, man, I, I love his potential. I talk about him his ceiling being like that Robert Quinn got kind of guy, and I can see him being a double digit sack guy in the in the league. It's just going to take the right team to invest in him and say, hey, we can – and a defensive line coach saying, hey, I can get that, you know, those flashes out of him consistently and put it on the football field. Um, you, you nailed it, man. This guy's going to kill it at the Senior Bowl. Um, the weigh-ins, the practices, this event is designed for him to succeed. And those one-on-ones are designed for those defensive players to win. And with how explosive he is, it's just going to be a – he could end up having a Montez Sweat kind of – a week yeah. in January. And you, we all know what happened to Montez Sweat. This guy was a late first, early second round guy. And he would have been a top 10 pick if it went for um, some other issues coming up late in the draft process. But this guy really, Montez Sweat really helped his draft stock um, from this event. And I think Darrell Taylor can have a similar type kind of impact on the game and this weekend. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how Darrell Taylor does there. But I think this is going to be nothing but a plus for his draft stock. 100%. And I'm really interested to see exactly how Taylor finishes up this year. And I definitely will be keeping eyes on him, especially down in Mobile. I think he could end up being one of the biggest winners of the week. But before we move on, I want to remind the listeners about Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on during checkout. Again, that's awaytravel.com slash locked on. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. That is the promo code that you should use during checkout to get $20 off a suitcase. So the next person or the next prospect, I should say, that I want to get to in our annual uh, Senior Bowl preview of the invitations that has been accepted, Jabari Zuniga. This guy, you talk about a long, lanky defensive end that has, that's a multiple piece of clay that I like to say. He's still trying to figure out, it's like a trial and error thing with him. Is He doesn't have a really, truly defined type of pass rush that or moves that he likes to go to. And he really struggles with counter moves. But as far as having the initial moves that he likes to try out, they seem to be effective just because he has those long arms, he has those long legs, and he fires up the field. I love how he gets out of the blocks. He fires out of his stance and just he covers so much grass in those initial steps that he has out of his pass rush. And before you know it, he's blowing by those offensive tackles. And I'm really interested to see exactly how he does transpire at the senior bowl, just because I think he's a guy that that is probably going to struggle initially just because he's facing some really talented guys and probably some of the better. Uh, the SEC has good tackles, but I think he's going to see the best of the best. At this event, and you're going to see guys that have really good hands and hand-to-hand combat that can fight some of those long arms that he does have or some of those moves that he does show initially. But when he's getting that NFL coaching throughout the week, we're going to see him grow and grow and grow and start to develop some of those moves, even though there's only three to four days worth of practices. He's going to learn so much within that time period. Within that time period, I think he's going to get better and better as the week goes along. But what's your initial thoughts about Zuniga? Man, I got to tell you, when I watched Zuniga, there is one player that really comes to mind and just that visual of him coming off that snap and just playing the way he does on tape, Matt Judon, just how violent he is. And I, I just love how Zuniga, he's, he doesn't really have this one standout trait, 
but he consistently plays with explosion and violence, whether it's with his hands or just getting off the snap quicker than anyone else and converting that speed to power and pushing the pocket, collapsing it. Man, I just love how Zuniga plays the game. I think, you know, he doesn't win with, you know, that dip or that, you know, lateral agility like someone like Chase on or Taylor would. He doesn't really have the technical, you know, prowess or the, you know, toolbox of pass rush moves that other players may have. But he's a guy that just consistently collapses the pocket. And, you know, he's really struggled with durability this year. But, you know, and, and the senior bowl one-on-ones, you know, I, I think that would be a big test for him to show, you know, how much bend does he really have. Um, but at the same time, I just love how violent he plays. And I think he uses his hands really well. I, I'm really excited to see him down there. And I think, again, this is a guy who really reminds me of like a Matt Judon kind of player who may not be this, who, he may not be like a true volume sack artist, but he will definitely be a very good pass rusher, pass rusher at the next level. I'm right there with you. I'm really excited to see, see Zuniga. And like you said, he struggled with some durability issues this year. I believe he's missed three games due to an ankle injury. Him and Jonathan Grenard have missed some time uh, for, for the Florida Gators defense. But when Zuniga is on the field, that defense looks completely different. And that's the sign of that's the sign of a really good player. And I want to go all the way back to the very first game of the year against Miami. That really was kind of his coming out party. And a lot of people didn't really know his name for the most part. But that game, him and Grenard just completely dominated that game. And you saw some of the flashes and the peaks that really have so many people excited about him. And I just think he's only scratching the surface of how good he can really be. He just has to get with a demanding position coach and some really good surrounding as far as veterans that can teach him some of those moves that he needs to learn as far as counter moves and those secondary moves that he needs to add to his repertoire overall. But I think, like you said, he's not going to be a high-volume type of sack guy. I think he's going to be more of a high-pressure as opposed to a high-sack guy, and that's what we're seeing throughout his career at Florida. And he he does have some struggles with getting home and actually finishing plays, but that's okay just because I don't want to say sacks don't matter just because sacks do, more, sacks do matter and finishing always counts. But I'm going to take pressures over sacks any day just because pressure creates so much havoc amongst right. quarterbacks and – I hate using the term like sacks don't matter. I keep saying that, but I just love guys that consistently generate pressure on the quarterback just because I think over time that really has an effect on quarterbacks and sacks are just saying that they did. They finished the job completely. And that's what that's how I see Zuniga. Do you see it any other way? Yeah, I I completely agree with you. And going back to Darrell Taylor, you know, when his 2018 tape, the reason why I had him so high in the preseason was because just that, you know, he had trouble, you know, getting getting home to the quarterbacks and actually finishing the plays. But if you go back and watch that Georgia game in 2018, he was creating disruption plenty of times, going up against guys like Andrew Thomas who we talk about. So this is a so Darrell Taylor and Zuniga are both extremely talented. Can't wait to see them in Mobile. But regarding Zuniga specifically, you said a Miami game coming out party, absolutely. I I, I can't remember a play where he was legitimately blocked one on one. Uh, the Miami offense line couldn't block and whether it was, and this is a big thing too. This guy is a true three down edge defender. He is an excellent run defender. One of the best run defending defensive ends in this draft class. Outstanding. That violence. Absolutely. That hand power and just him coming off the ball so quickly. It, that's something you really can't teach it. That guy, that anticipation, that instinct. Uh, I just love his first, his first step quickness and how he comes off the snap. Um, so I'm a big fan of Zuniga. And while he doesn't have those standout traits of like the dip, the bend, 
have that you know hip fluidity of, of what you want in the pass rusher. He plays with so much violence and power that I just don't see a way where he's really going to you know not find a home at the next level. Absolutely. I 110% agree. But before we move on to our final segment, debating the college football playoff rankings and the latest that the committee has found as far as the top 10, here's a quick word from our sponsors. All right, and we are back to discuss the college football playoff rankings and what the committee has voted upon. There was a huge shakeup, not necessarily at the top, just because everyone knew that LSU was going to be at the top after the victory, the 46-41 victory in Tuscaloosa over Alabama. So I'm going to read out the top 10. It's LSU at the top. Ohio State is number two. Georgia is number three. Or excuse me, no, I missed one. Who did I miss? I forgot to write somebody down. Clemson. Yeah, that's who it was. Sorry. Clemson. So let me start over. My bad, listeners. Sorry (laughs) about that. Let me start over. I wrote it down wrong. So number one is LSU. Number two is Ohio State. Number three is Clemson. There we go. I apologize to my Clemson listeners out there. If there are any out there, I'm sure there are some. They're already in our mentions. I I sincerely apologize. Clemson is three. They're giving us one star reviews. (laughs) Right. Georgia is four. Alabama is five. Six is Oregon. Seven is Utah. Eight is Minnesota. Nine is Penn State. And then rounding it out at number 10 is Oklahoma. And I'll go ahead and say it. My biggest surprise was Georgia at four. I didn't think they would bump up to four. I thought Alabama would still hold down that fourth spot just because them and LSU, I think they are definitely two of the top four teams in the country. And with Georgia having that bad loss against South Carolina and double overtime, I believe it was, I didn't think there was any way that they would enter back into the the discussion for the college football playoff amongst the top four. So I was really surprised to see Alabama on the outside looking in. And I thought Minnesota probably would jump up a little bit more than what they did. I thought they probably would be at number six as opposed to number eight. Uh, So those were my two biggest surprises. What were your biggest surprises? The same here. I mean, I I believe that, you know, I can see why the committee would have Georgia number four, um, you know, on paper because Georgia has, you know, they've beaten Florida. Alabama really doesn't have any quality wins. But I think the quality loss, it's always like when you go back to Mark Madness, right? You always look at the quality losses versus the quality wins. Alabama has that one big quality loss losing to LSU um, last weekend. But Georgia has that quality win against Florida that Alabama really doesn't have. So it's, it's been really interesting to weigh those two. But I think at the end of the day, Alabama, the eye test, will put Alabama in that fourth spot. I think we're you know, so you know close to that loss. I think Bama is five, at five for now. But once we get closer to the college football playoff, I think Alabama will get in. As long as they do their work, they will get in because of the eye test. And they have plenty of chances to get more valuable wins here. Um, so I, I think this is a team that will – end up being in the college football playoff when it's all said and done. But, yeah, that was the biggest surprise for me just because of how much, you know, the committee has, you know, favored Alabama in the past and, you know, how they've really favored the eye test in years past as well. I mean, that really did surprise me. Um, but Minnesota, same kind of deal. I did not expect two Pac-12 teams to be above uh, Minnesota, who just beat the number four team previously in Penn State. I thought Minnesota would get the nod as the sixth overall team. That did not happen. And so now that, you know, brings up an intriguing conversation is, you know, the committee obviously views the Pac-12 as much stronger than years past. Having Utah and Oregon, that six and seven spot. I wonder if one of those two teams can sneak their way into the college football playoff. You know, obviously it would probably take like someone like Clemson losing, but 
I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for a team like Utah or Oregon to get in. And that would be really intriguing because, you know, the Pac-12 has been kind of shunned out since, like, Washington, and they lost Alabama in that blowout loss. So it's going to be really interesting to see how those two dynamic, that, how that dynamic plays out. Then Minnesota and Penn State. I'm actually surprised Penn State was as ranked as high as it was. And I'm really, I'm really interested to see what Oklahoma, you know, what happens to them. Is I know they've, you know, they've struggled really in recent weeks, losing to Kansas State and almost losing to Iowa State. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see that. I, I thought Oklahoma would be ranked a little higher, but um, it, it's this Pac-12 kind of thing. That's really going to be super intriguing because one of those two teams could legit get in with how well, with how high the committee is placing them over like teams like Minnesota and Penn State, especially Minnesota, who just came off their biggest win of the season. The SEC championship game is going to have so much meaning this year. And, I mean, it does every year, but it's just going to be a bit different this year, especially if LSU and Georgia do end up playing each other. I think that's going to have huge implications. And Ohio State and Penn State still have to play each other as well. So there's a lot of matchups that teams are faced against each other that could have a lot of implications on exactly what happens with the college football playoff. I don't really expect Clemson to lose uh, this year just because we know they're going to steamroll through the ACC and whoever they play in the ACC championship, even though the game against Wake Forest kind of was the one matchup that everybody has circled. But Sage Surratt, of course, came out and said, well, Dave Clawson, I should say, Wake Forest's head coach, came out and said that he is now out for the rest of the year after having surgery on an injury that remained undisclosed. We don't know exactly what that injury is. So that matchup kind of lost its luster. Wake Forest is really on a hot streak this year, and a lot of people thought they really would were going to give Clemson a run for their money and maybe potentially knock them out of the college football playoff for good. So that, that matchup definitely lost a lot of its luster. Ohio State, we know what they're capable of. It looks like they may get Chase Young back this year. We'll see what does end up happening as far as that suspension and how long that does last. A lot of people are speculating that it's going to be four games and it may get reduced. I know a lot of people came out, some beat writers were saying that there is a possibility that it could get reduced. But LSU, man, they look like they're rolling right now. They seem to be the best team in the country. Uh, I thought they really dominated the game against Alabama. and We touched on that briefly on our last show. I really thought they dominated the game for the most part, especially in the first half. And I thought they kind of let their foot off the gas pedal a bit in the second half against Alabama, but for the most part, I thought they really dominated the matchup. For the most part, we know what Joe Burrow did in that matchup. And as far as the weapons that he had on the, on the perimeter, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a very good game as well. So LSU is looking like a really good team right now, even though their defense isn't what we have or what we're accustomed to seeing in years past, but their explosive offense really makes up for that for the most part. But Georgia is another team that could sneak in the back door of the college football playoff if they're able to win the SEC championship game. Georgia just has to win out. I think that's what's going to hold off Alabama. And if they're able to win out, I think there's going to be a guarantee that they're in the college football playoff. So there's going to be a lot of implications. Excuse me. There's going to be a lot of implications as far as what's going to happen over the next few weeks with the college football playoff and who exactly is going to get in. So did you have anything else to add to that? Yeah, and it's going to be so interesting because what happens if we get a Minnesota-Ohio State undefeated Big Ten championship matchup and we get, let's say, Georgia beating LSU? Who's in? Because right. are you knocking out Clemson? Are you knocking out Ohio State? Like, say Minnesota beats Ohio State in the Big Ten championship, both undefeated. You're obviously putting Minnesota in. So are you t- putting – and then if Georgia beats LSU, are you keeping LSU in for the win against Alabama? I mean, it's going to be so interesting to see how this dynamic plays out because 
in years past, it seems like the college football playoff really hasn't had much drama leading into the selection. Now, I think there will be a ton of drama this year if everything holds up, especially if there's a couple upsets in these championship games like a Georgia beating LSU or like the Golden Gophers, who I'm telling you, do not sleep on the Golden Gophers if they beat Ohio State, especially if they're without Chase Young. It's the Golden Gophers. Let me tell you about these guys. Rashad Bateman, he might be one of the top three receivers in next year's draft class. Tyler Johnson is already one of the top receivers in this year's draft class. Tanner Morgan, a solid quarterback prospect. And then you got a solid defense. We've talked about these guys before. Carter Coughlin, another senior going to the Senior Bowl. Kamal Martin, a linebacker that I really like. Having him in my top 100 of my draft board. Another guy going to the Senior Bowl. He has been injured most of the season, but I think he would be back for a big matchup like that. Excellent off-ball player, great cover guy. Um, So that will be a big addition for that team. And then Anton Winfield, we talked about him last podcast. This guy could legit be one of the top three safety prospects in this draft if he decides to declare. So Minnesota has a lot of NFL talent, much more than they had in recent years. And I think this team could legit contend for the Big Ten title, especially if Ohio State is without Chase Young. I know Ohio State has you know, so much more talent than they do, especially with Justin Fields, Akuda, Sean Wade, and all those guys. But Minnesota is a very scrappy team, and we saw that against Penn State. And that was without, I think, with their team captains and Kamal Martin. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this dynamic plays out especially when we see a couple upsets in these championship games because that's when chaos will ensue, and that's what I'm all here for, man. Absolutely, and that's the great thing about the college football playoff, and it just seems like it's going to be inevitable that it's going to go to eight teams eventually just because there's so much chaos ensued with this, and I think no matter how many teams that you have in this whole entire ordeal, there's always going to be some type of drama. Some team is going to feel like they got left out even though they deserve to be in. That seems like the dilemma that Alabama and Minnesota are in right now, even though I think both teams will end up having their chance to get in. And like you said, I was really surprised to see Oregon and Utah ahead of Minnesota. And Des Bryant, one of your former favorite players of the Dallas Cowboys, came out and said that it's politics, that Minnesota, that's why they're not ahead of any of these one-loss teams, it, uh, specifically it, the it, two that it, are ahead of them. Here's my thing on Minnesota, though. Like, Minnesota will have their chance. If they went out, they're in. Yes, regardless. I think so. No doubt about it. But I think the winner of the Big Ten has to win the Big Ten. Because here's the thing. If, if Georgia beats LSU, obviously Georgia's in. You're probably keeping LSU in because how, how they beat Alabama, and they had those other quality wins against Texas and Florida. So you're probably keeping two SEC. If Georgia wins and LSU wins out and loses the SEC championship, you're keeping those two teams in. If Clemson wins out, you're keeping them in. And then you're keeping the Big Ten winner? Is that what it's it? You're keeping Minnesota or Ohio State. The, the, Alabama, the worst, the last thing Alabama needs is for Georgia to win. Because if Georgia wins, Alabama's down. Alabama's out. Because you're keeping two SEC teams if Georgia wins. And then Clemson, if they win out, which we think they're going to do, they will get that third spot or fourth spot, whatever it is. And then the winner of the Big Ten. And that brings another question. Are you keeping Ohio State out if they lose? So it's going to be very interesting yeah. how this all plays out. Uh, I, I'm just I'm here for chaos to ensue, man. But I'm with you. the The playoff has to be expanded to eight teams at some point because there are so many deserving teams. Like Alabama, they could still very well be the one, the best team in college football. They, you know, Tua Tagovailoa was still injured in the LSU matchup. They had other guys, couple they had other guys injured. This is a team that could very well be the best team in college football and not be in the playoff. So it's gonna be very interesting to see how this dynamic plays out and see how the playoff goes going forward with just four teams. 
It is, and that seems like a different dynamic than what we've seen in years past as far as teams still having to play each other. We've seen it last year previously with Alabama and Georgia, but not where Ohio State and Penn State still are left to play each other and things of that nature as well. So it's definitely going to be interesting, but that is our show for today. And once again, thank you guys as always for listening to the Locked On College Football Podcast. But remember, tomorrow's show We will cover Twitter Thursday, where we will answer your questions. Make sure to get your questions in when we do post a tweet out. And, of course, we will try to get to as many questions as possible. We also have a great first segment for you guys tomorrow of where we'll make some player prospect comparisons to current or even past NFL players. So that's something that we're adding to the first segment of tomorrow's show. But once again, don't forget about Twitter Thursdays and get your questions in. We cannot wait to get to each and every question or as many as we can, I should say. But as always, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend to listen to the podcast. Leave a five-star review. I am Jordan Reed. He is Jonah Tolls. Thank you guys for listening to the Locked On College Football Podcast.